This one's 100% impromptu. I put it together in about the last 25 minutes. It took me to put this show together, the outline for it. I got up this morning. I went outside with the dogs and took a walk in the yard, and I was realized I was doing something I haven't done in six months. I was wearing a pair of jeans. Yeah, I wasn't wearing shorts today. And down here in Texas, you know, we can wear shorts six months out of the year. I could have done it today, but it actually felt good to uh, to wear a pair of jeans out into the uh, chilly morning air. And as I walked through my garden and I watched, every, and I looked at everything that was just exploding and some of the things that had come to fruition and some of the new stuff coming up for fall, I thought this is the time to do this show because I'm going to run out of time to do it if I don't do it soon. And uh, so hopefully we'll do well today even though I put the show together in you know, 15, 25 minutes, something like that. Before we get into that though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you and make sure this show is here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Sponsor of the day number one today is Ready-Made Resources, and I have an announcement about them. They now offer the AR-7 Survival Rifle. I'll put an extra link in today's show notes so you can uh, take a look at that on their website. Now, um, you will have to have that shipped to an FFL, so there'll probably be an extra, I guess, 20 bucks most FFLs charge for that, unless you are yourself a, a federal firearms uh, dealer and you want to buy one from them. But they now have that available as a great thing to add to your preps, and of course, other, everything else that they offer is, you know, the ready-made resources for all your prepping needs, a company whose name actually says what they do and what they provide isn't that original. It sure makes a hell of a lot more sense than some of our new companies out there like Yelp. For those who don't know what Yelp is, look them up. You'll see that Yelp doesn't really help you figure out what they do at all. I like companies that uh, do what they say and say what they do. Uh, speaking of that, the next company up today is a perfect example of that. Backyard Food Production, Marjorie down there south of Austin with her little operation. And little, I guess, is an understatement. They have, I think, about 40 acres that they're managing down there. And they actually have more land than that. But don't let that intimidate you because the techniques on their DVD, Backyard Food Production, can help you turn your yard into a food production machine. Whether you have a tenth of an acre in the suburbs, a, you know, ten acres out at the edge of the suburbs, or a hundred acres out in the middle of nowhere. Anything from the extreme to the small and everything in between, you'll be able to adapt what they do to suit your own needs. Their DVD is the best practical hands-on, here's how to DVD I've ever seen about gardening and permaculture. Uh, instead of trying to uh, focus in on an individual subject like here's how to square foot garden or here's how to create multiple layers or things like that, they actually just take you through their property and show you what they've done in the real world. To me, that's so much more valuable than it being purely academic. Uh, next up today, I want to remind you guys to connect with us um, online, YouTube, Facebook, all that stuff. But a couple of things. One, I put out three videos on YouTube yesterday. I featured one on the blog. It's on deer feeders. Check that one out. I've already got a couple comments about people hey, well, shooting deer under a feeder. Please watch the whole video if you have any misconceptions about what deer feeders do and, and are not capable of doing for you. Um, the environment they're used in, how they're used and things like that have a great deal of effect on what they are. I know when I was in Pennsylvania, folks, um, as a young kid up in a tree, freezing my butt off, wishing the sun would come up from behind the mountain behind it so it would warm up from 10 degrees to 15 degrees, the thought of uh, using a feeder since we weren't allowed to seemed like I'd be shooting fish in a barrel. Um, there are places where it can be that way, and then there are places where it's not. And uh, I'd like you to take a look at that video. Let me know what you think. Uh, even if you disagree with what I have to say, that's fine. Please be respectful about it, though. Uh, I will tell you right now that insulting comments on my YouTube channel, on my blog, on our forum, they're all deleted because we don't let people insult each other. Disagreement is fine, but we all have to be civil. 
Uh, I also want to tell you, I've got a couple other great videos. I'll be putting them out over the next few days on the blog. But if you go to the YouTube channel, you'll see them there. Also, please get involved with our forum. If you've been kicked in around the idea of getting involved with the TSP forum, please do so. You'll meet some great people there. Uh, you'll share some great information. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to members. Lots of free stuff, yada, yada. Leave it there today. Uh, I do want to remind you one more time, special show coming up for Episode 550. Please dial 866-65-THINK. And when you do that, leave a message of about two minutes, one to two minutes in length, telling us what the Survival Podcast and what prepping as a whole has meant to you over the last couple of years. It's going to be a special show like our one-year anniversary show. One more quick announcement tonight. I will actually be appearing from 7 o'clock till 9 o'clock tonight uh, on a Pal Talk Scene, uh, the, the gold, and silver uh, gold and Silver Chat Room, to do a talk and a Q&A session on hyperinflation and preparedness in general. I'll put a link to an announcement made by the coordinator of that, the uh, wonderful woman out of Canada that set this up. Uh, PalTalk is a, a, a software you would have to set up on your computer to be able to participate. It's kind of like an online chat room. It also has like a desktop sharing, I think, though I won't be doing any of that. Uh, and the ability to communicate with a, a microphone so you'll be able to hear and listen. So uh, to really participate in this, you'll need a speaker on your computer. Uh, you don't really need a microphone because you can send your, your questions in with uh, with the chat room, uh, but you'll want to listen. I'll be speaking probably for about 20 to 30 minutes, and then I'm going to open it up to Q&A for about two hours, specifically talking about hyperinflation preparedness, but infla uh, preparedness in general. Again, I'll put a link where you can learn more about that in today's show notes. And with that, we're ready to roll into today's main subject. And, uh, we're, again, we're going to talk about fall, fall gardening today. And, uh, you know, part of what spurred me on to this is I looked out and I said, well, I've been telling people all through August when it was hot and all through September when it was still hot in most of the country, fall is coming, fall is coming, fall is coming. And I'm sure a lot of people were sitting out there in August when it was 105 degrees throughout much of the South. In fact, you guys had multiple triple-digit days up in like New York City in the Northeast this year. It was really hot. And you were thinking, I wish this guy shut up about fall. I wish fall was here and it's not coming anytime soon because I'm sweating my butt off. Well, now fall's here. Uh, seasons change and time ticks on regardless of, um, of our apathy. That's why we talk so much about preparing. So I looked out today and said, fall's here. Uh, I'm in the, I'm in the deep south, man. This is North Texas. It's still pretty nice out. It's going up into the 80s in the middle of the days yet. I know some of you, and there's going to be people that are going to get mad at me. I'm going to tell you right now, if you live in like Montana or Wyoming or New England, especially northern New England, like Maine and the upper parts of New Hampshire and Vermont, and you've already had some freezing days, you're probably going to be pissed off during the show. Please don't be pissed off. I used to live up north, too. Um, and some of the things I'm going to say will apply to me and not to people that are further north, but I'm going to try to keep this as universal as possible. But I just want to say right out early, I do understand that not everybody lives where we, they don't get, you know, their first you know, average freeze date is in, in November. I understand that. But most of the things I'm going to tell you still apply, and the crops that I've picked out to uh, briefly discuss today, you can probably grow right up until December with little, produ little protection all the way up into most, most of the northern United States. Um, but as I looked out there, I realized, look, look this is what's going to happen. Within about three weeks, you're going to be sitting in your house, and hopefully you didn't forget, and you're going to hear... You're going to open the door and there's going to be these little kids out there dressed like ghouls and ghouls and whoever's popular in cartoons now, you know, and trick or treat. And you're going to be giving them candy. And if you don't give kids candy on Halloween, what's wrong with you, man? You know, seriously, they only get to be kids once. And, um, you know, then all of a sudden, just a few weeks after that, we're going to be stuffing ourselves with turkey that we've stuffed the night before and laying around in a turkey coma watching football on Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, watching the Cowboys lose. Woohoo. Uh, <laughs> I know I've just upset my Texas audience, but I'm sorry. I'm not a Cowboys fan. And, you know, just a few weeks after that, we'll be in the middle of what I call insanity season, which is where everybody but me goes out in Christmas shops because we buy everything that we're going to buy for people online now and have it sent to the house and, and just give it out without going out there in that melee. And um, then it'll be Christmas, that wonderful day, you know. 
And soon after that, maybe you'll get that week of what they call Indian summer up in Pennsylvania, that week between Christmas and New Year's, where it just doesn't really usually seem that cold. It almost A lot of times it gets up into really nice temperatures, and a lot of the snow that's already on the ground melts, and then real winter sets in. And what I've just described is going to pass almost as fast as I described it. It's going to be here and gone. And you're going to be looking at, you know, very cold, barren ground or snow-covered ground, depending on where you live. You're going to be thinking, man, you know, some fresh vegetables that didn't come from the store coated in formaldehyde juice would taste pretty good right now. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. You can have fresh vegetables all the way up to and through parts of the winter, um, depending on what you do. And that's what we're going to talk about today, and this is why, because... I'm going to tell you guys, especially the ones that are going to be mad at me that live way up north today, the uh, three to four months of cabin fever is about to hit you, and it's being a lot easier to deal with if you got something going on. And Even with uh, some very modest cost and some modest efforts, you can extend that growing season. We'll talk about some cool, easy ways to do that today. So I want you to understand something. For me, this is the greatest time of the year. I love everything from now right up to and into winter. And even when I lived further north, it was the same way. This is the time of the year where, you know, we get out into the woods and we start trying to uh, to not only grow things in our backyard, we're going to talk about today, but bring some meat home. You know, this is a good time of year in a lot of places, not just for hunting, but for fishing. You get fall turnover in the lakes and you get different patterns in your river. So it's a great harvest time for everything. All of a sudden, I'm not walking outside and walking around and covered in sweat anymore. It actually feels good to be outside. When I get done with the show on days like this, I spend a lot of time outside. And when my wife comes home from work, I'm out there. And I don't want to come in. And, you know, the only thing that bugs me this time of year are the freaking mosquitoes. And that's what they make insect repellent for. Uh, I cook outside every day in this time of year. This is a beautiful time of year to be outside and be involved with things. And and it's also about watching the seasons change because it, the change is different in fall than spring. The temperatures are very similar, right? The temperature right now, wherever you are, if you look ahead to spring, on the, you know, come on the backside of the calendar, you, your average temperatures are probably very, very close to each other. Your average time that the, the light is, you know, there's sunlight out is probably very, very similar. But here's what's different. Instead of going into where everything is green, we're going to get all of these different beautiful colors and then we're going to go into the place where everything is barren and starts over. And I think a lot of people prefer spring. I prefer fall. Because it gives you a chance to sit around and look and think about where we're really at and the way things really work and an understanding that not everything is a summer story. Some things are winter stories. And I mean all of the things in life that we look at whether it be finance, economics, whether it be politics, whether it be relationships, whether it be our own age, that, that there's, there is wonderful things in that springtime story, but there's also wonderful things in that falltime story. And if we don't understand the full circle of the seasons, and to me this is why we have the four seasons, this is, this is why they were gifted to us, right, so that we could understand that circle. And that there's no better way to really understand that and make it part of your life and make it part of your preparedness than to be involved with it and to be using this time to actually still produce for yourself. I also want to talk to some of you guys out there that are probably thinking, man, I should have done this. The guy was on my back about this in August and telling me to start my plants in September and now I have nothing and is it too late? It's not too late. There's a lot of things that you can do right now. Um to get something done for fall. And we're going to talk about a bunch of them, but even if you didn't start your own plants, there's a lot of garden centers right now out there where you can go and you can get well-started plants that are suitable for fall and winter gardening, cabbages, broccoli, kale, all kinds of things that we're going to talk about today. And even if even if you uh, don't have that available, there's some other things that we'll, uh, we'll talk about today that you could do more toward the end of the show. But what I wanted to talk to you about now is, you know, I think this is what happens. People look out and go, well, I like to grow tomatoes and peppers and squash and all of that stuff, right? And, and that's all the, the beautiful stuff in the, in the home garden, you know? Cherry tomatoes and heirloom tomatoes, brandy wines, uh, all this great stuff. Big, beautiful bushes of basil and things like that. Gorgeous peppers. And if you're like me, some of that stuff is still producing for you. Right now, folks, 
is the best time of year for my summer garden, the stuff I planted in the summer. I've got beds I'd like to be planting with winter crops that I can't do yet because I got pepper plants outside. I swear to God, I've got pepper plants four and a half feet tall that are just covered in little baby peppers and blossoms and producing yet another crop. And I actually would like to play, you know, it's like, I gotta look at one of the beds and go, eh, I gotta sacrifice, because the pepper plants are so big, they're shading out the open spaces where I could plant the other kind of stuff that we're gonna talk about today. And I can hear somebody in Montana going right now, oh, boo freaking who for Jack, his pepper plants are four and a half feet tall. I'm so sad for him. I, I know, you know, again, I know when I talk about the South and our growing climate down here, that there are people where it's very, very different right now. There's people that have already had good freezes already. But if you plant the right things and you give them some limited protection, just about anywhere in the lower 48, you're going to be able to grow plants right up to and into almost Christmas Day. Definitely Thanksgiving salad can come from the backyard. One of the big plants that you can plant right now um, if you're going to start it from seed, unless you're in the south like I am, you're going to want to start it indoors to get it off to a good start. But once it gets started, you can't stop it with anything other than just completely burying it in ice. It's kale. Uh, kale is a great green. It's got it's become an ornamental in a lot of places, and a lot of the ornamental varieties aren't very good eating. But like Russian red kale, um, there's a uh, there's a, a black kale that comes from Italy that's grown in Italian gardens in the winter. I can't remember what it's called. Nero de Tuscany, I think, something like that. I have some seeds that I received from a friend. It's just amazing kale that's, that, that this grows. Dwarf blue, Siberian, all of these types of kale. Great thing to be growing right now. I've got some in the ground. I suggest you do too. Beets. Beets are something that if you're too far north and they're not going to get a good start at this point, you're kind of you're kind of lost on unless you want to put a few into a large container and you're growing them mostly for greens uh, because you're going to need to get them off to a good start. Here in the south, we can still do that. Probably all the way up to about Virginia in the southern Virginia and all that, you guys can still do that. Moving north of the Mason-Dixon line and and maybe further south. As you move into the Midwestern United States where the temperatures are more uh, cold, even though the, the latitude would dictate otherwise, that mid Midwestern area, um, it's going to be very difficult for you to get your beets off to a really good start now. What I want you to understand is that a lot of these crops I'm giving you today, they will grow, they will handle freezes. Like, like not 10 degrees, but like down 20, 27, 28 degrees. I've had broccoli with snow on it, and the snow falls off and the broccoli keeps growing. Uh, Brussels sprouts will do that as well. Cauliflower will do that as well. Certain cabbages will do that. In fact, they even taste better grown in the cold. But what they won't do is if they're a little bitty plant during the time of year where the sun duration is short and the temperature are cold, they'll just kind of sit there and just hang on and hang on. And they won't really do anything for you till spring. You know, if you coax them through, you've got to get them established early. So the problem with beets is they don't transplant well. So since they don't transplant well, it's hard to get them established now. They need to be sowed into the ground. So they really should have been sowed about two weeks ago for a lot of people. South, you can still sow them. Spinach. Spinach is a beautiful crop. It'll handle extreme cold. But if you're anywhere where your nighttime temperatures now are dipping into the lower 40s or lower, or that's going to happen within the next two to three weeks... As a reg if it happens once or twice, no problem. But if it's going to be a re you know your overnight lows are regular, going to be around 42 degrees or colder. Start it indoors and get them well established. Get them up to about two inches tall in a warm environment before, and then harden them off and put them into your garden. Once they get going, though, very few things will handle the cold better than spinach. What I just said about spinach, same for broccoli, cauliflower, uh, and lettuces. So those are the next one, and cabbage. If you get good started plants and get them out now before it's too late and get them well established into the garden, build a deep root system before the light, uh, the duration of light gets too, too shallow, they'll get off to a really great start. Parsnips and carrots are just like beets though, right? They're, they're almost impossible to really coax through a hard winter if they don't get established early. So these are things, your parsnips, your carrots, if you're in the northern United States, you should have planted them three to four weeks ago, maybe long, maybe five weeks ago, depending on what your temperatures were doing then, because they don't like heat. If you are in the deep south, you can plant them right now, but they're going to need some help in about a month. 
to get through a period of time. So you're going to need to do a mini greenhouse or a fish tank greenhouse or some other stuff we're going to talk about in a bit. But once established, I mean, they can go straight through. And the thing about carrots is if you grow your, if you're in the northern climates, you grow carrots to where they're, they're ready to eat. And the snow starts to fall and it gets really cold. You take all the, you pull your mulch back if you have mulch. You put your carrot tops down. You push them down to the ground. You throw a layer of mulch back over them. You let the snow cover them and they'll sit there dormant and perfectly crisp. And you can go out in the middle of winter, pull aside the mulch and the snow, stick your hand down there, pull out a carrot, and it will be as fresh as it could possibly be. So you'll have food stored in the ground. You can do the same thing with parsnips. To a large degree, you can do the same thing with certain onions, globe onions. But the onions, the carrots, the parsnips really should have been in the ground for a few weeks by now. You could still do it if you're far enough south, but those are some things that maybe you look to containers for as well. You can, you know, grow a few onions in a container or a few carrots or a few parsnips, uh, especially larger containers. Uh, but that's probably not the best use of your containers right now, but, you know, it, it, it can work if you want a little bit of that. This is a great time to be planting garlic just about anywhere in the United States, even if you're far north, as long as the ground hasn't frozen yet. Garlic can handle all the extremes, and if you're planting it now, you're planting it for next year anyway. So this is the time to get out there and plant your garlic. Fava beans, if you're in the south, still time to plant them. If you're in the north, they should have been in the ground for a while. Mine have been in the ground for four weeks. They're about... Oh, I'd say they're about a foot tall right now uh, in four weeks. They are established now. Now they can handle the cold. Um, I could probably do another bed of them, but I don't want another bed of them. That just did one bed of them this year. Um, and they'll produce more favas than we could probably use. If I wait another three weeks and plant them, what's going to happen is it's not so much that they'll get killed by the cold down here because it doesn't get that cold here, but they might because they might be too young. But definitely they won't thrive. You got to get see these these winter crops, folks. They can handle the, even the freezing temperatures. They can do it, but they have to have a certain level of establishment behind them. It's very important to understand. Uh, but fava beans are a great winter crop. They're grown all throughout Italy in the winter time. Uh, they call them horse beans. There, favas are a great bean just to use as a bean. They also make a very good version of hummus. Uh, you know, chickpeas are traditional for hummus, but uh, if you live in Italy, chickpeas don't do very well there. So the Italians came up with their own version of hummus, and uh, it's really quite good. Something you might want to try, even if you have to go out and buy some favas uh, and, and learn how to prepare it. See if you like it before you waste time growing them. Another great plant to be growing right now, kohlrabi. Um, it's kind of sort of like broccoli, but not as much of that, I don't know, I like broccoli, but even me, when I pull broccoli off like a grill or a stove and I first open it, it has a certain smell that hits you that's not my favorite. Kohlrabi is less, it's like a milder version of broccoli. With that, that, that hit you in the face cabbage smell is not quite as, uh, as strong. So kohlrabi is something you might want to try. It'll grow right into your, your freezing temperatures, again, if well established. Collard greens can handle all types of cold. So look at doing collards uh, right now, even if you have to establish them indoors and move them outdoors. Swiss chard. I love Swiss chard because I can start planting that in spring, and I can grow that right through until I get super freezing cold. I don't even have to worry about planting it for fall. I just tell it's still going. Just cut it, and it comes back. And I cut it, and it comes back. Uh, down here in, in the in the south, even with our freezing temperatures in the uh in the winter, and I'm not sure how far north you can take this technique, but once it gets to the point where it really can't handle it anymore, you cut it to the ground, mulch the heck out of it, and next year you get another crop from the same root system. And the second year crop is kind of like a second year beet green crop. The leaves are smaller, to me they're sweeter and more tender, and if you let it go from there, it'll seed for you because it's a biannual. Beets, same thing. In fact, chard and beets are in the same family. Uh, they have a very similar, Swiss chard and beet greens have a similar texture and flavor profile. So beets, uh, uh, chard, uh, things like parsley, uh, things like parsnips and carrots. You might want to take some through the winter and not harvest them at all and bring that second heart, that second year of growth on them for your seed collection uh, activities. Great thing to grow right now, 30 days to maturity, easy to grow anywhere, nice fresh thing to be able to throw on a baked potato uh, using your Thanksgiving cooking chives. Throw some chive seeds in the right environment right now, 30 days from now you got chives. Bunching onions, instead of the big onions like we talked about earlier, your small onions like your green onions and stuff that are designed to be used as very small, um, you know, they'll, they'll mature in 30 to 60 days for you. 
So you probably, and they'll handle the cold, so you got plenty of time for that. Radishes. Radishes are gonna, you know, mature for you in 25 days. Now, if you try to grow your radishes in December, it won't work that way. Uh, again, the kind of language in most of the United States. It's just not enough sunshine, not enough warmth. Even though they can handle the cold, they're not established. Good time to plant radishes right now. And all types of radishes. You know, don't just stick to your red cherry radishes. There's all different types of radishes and they all mature very, very quickly. Mustards. A good time to plant mustards right now. They can handle the cold. Uh, you give them off to a good start. Maybe you even have to, in some places, start them indoors right now. But mustards and Asian greens. A ton of the Asian greens will handle the cold. So you go from going, well, what do I plant? To going, well, which of this do I plant? Because most people wouldn't have room for that entire list. And that's not even all everything you could plant. There's so many more things that you could plant. Um, if, you, if you're establishing a, a uh, herb garden, sage, rosemary, and to a lesser degree, oregano will handle quite a bit of, uh, of your cold weather. And you can start establishing an herb garden now. Now, your, your basils um, and, and things like that, they're not going to be in your tarragon and you know things like that. They're just not going to be able to, uh, to get a start at this time of year. They'll be dead before they seed, and you know, they're not going to winter over for you at all in most of the United States. But some of the other herbs you can, you can uh, plant and get away with right now. Uh, parsley. Parsley is a great – if you can get – I would not try to plant it from seed right now, but if you can find some plants – uh, that are well established, that are in a in a you know uh, what do you call it like a nursery somewhere. They've got some leftover parsley. Get that stuff in the ground, man. It'll grow beautifully through most of the winter for you. When it freezes to the ground, just mulch it, and uh, you'll get that second year parsley next year. This is what I learned about second year parsley this year. You can cut it for about I'd say two to three months in spring as it's growing for you in, in shorter climates, maybe it'll be a month, month and a half, and then all of a sudden the different style leaves start coming up, and that's where it's going to seed. It gets beautiful white flowers on it. It brings in tremendous amounts of predator insects for you, and it produces one parsley plant, produces so much parsley seed, it's amazing. Parsley seed, throw it back on the ground, grow more parsley, right? It's also a good, um, it's a good flavoring. It's a good uh, spice or herb, how you call it, on its own. So, there you go. There's so many things that we can do. Now, what if we live in a place where it gets too cold? Or what if we have drug our feet till now and we're going to have a hard time getting things started? We're not really equipped to do a lot of indoor starting and things like that. What if we have some stuff that's okay, but it's not going to be okay soon if we don't do something? What are some cheap ways that we can extend our season? The first one is the humble fish tank. I have a video, a couple of videos on YouTube using fish tanks where I take some lettuce that's just planted in the ground and over one I put a fish tank, over one plot of lettuce and the over the other plot of lettuce I do nothing. They're in the exact same bed, they have the exact same solar exposure. They were planted at the exact same time. And when you look at the difference in growth between them, and the one that grows like crazy under the greenhouse, the entire time it's growing, I'm cutting it, using it, cutting it, using it. It's growing back and growing back and growing back. And the other one that kind of languishes, I never cut from it, maybe one or two leaves here and there, because it can't handle it, because it's not growing vigorously enough. And I had another fish tank, but I didn't put it over that. I was originally going to, I did it two clumps kind of spaced out, so I could put a fish tank over each. And then I decided, you know what, I'm not going to do this, because I'm going to demonstrate for people how big the difference really is. So check that video out. I'll put a link uh, from YouTube, but fish tanks. And this can even be like growing some lettuces and greens and stuff like that. You can go down to Walmart and buy a 10-gallon fish tank for uh, under 10 bucks, or like 9.50 or something like that. Two or three of those, and just pick out some spots in your bed and cut. I mean, it can be that simple. I probably wouldn't do that, but definitely if you're out at like uh, yard sales and rummage sales and stuff like that, and you see fish tanks, especially things that are bigger than 10 gallons, your 20-gallon longs. Uh, your 40-gallon breeders and things like that, uh, and they're dirt cheap, pick them up. Even if they have a crack in them, as long as the crack's not going to keep going. But you got a crack in it, put a good uh, piece of uh, heavy, clear tape over the crack to help control it, and uh, you'll get a lot of service out of those, and it's amazing what they do. Again, check out the video. But, you know, maybe today is a good day to start planning building a good cold frame where you've got it partially into the ground and a nice frame around it and a big glass top on it, and you're able to use that to start plants in the spring, but you can also grow things in there in the fall and the winter that you're actually using. Maybe it's a good time to start planting you know, a mini greenhouse. Let me give you an idea of how simple this mini greenhouse can be. 
you go out and you measure your raised beds, and you know you either built them four by four or four by eight or what have you. But measure the outside dimensions, and then you go down to Home Depot and you get some cheap, you know, strip lumber, and you build yourself a box that's about one inch longer and one inch wider and about three feet tall. Uh, there's basically a cube out of strip lumber so that you and a partner can pick it up because it's lightweight, set it down over your raised bed, and it stays in place because it surrounds your raised bed and it gives a good good seal that way. Maybe you even build a couple little things that stick out from the side so you can put some weight on it if you get windy winters like we do here to keep it from getting blown over if the bed holding it in place won't be enough. You go over to where the painting supplies are, and you get yourself some about uh, six mil um, semi trans, you know, not completely clear, but the kind of milky looking uh, film. And uh, you, uh, you you take a staple gun and you staple up, you know, uh, five sides of that, leave the bottom open. You've done it. You're done. I mean, what is your investment in cost there? Probably fifteen twenty dollars. If you don't own a staple gun and you have to buy a staple gun in Staples. Maybe you're up to 35 bucks, 40 bu Buy a good staple gun, 40 bucks. Buy a good brad nailer to go with it so you can put it together fast and use that and make that part of your tool preps. And what do you have, 60 bucks? And now you have at least one bed that you can take right through the winter. And on the days where it's going to be really warm, you go out, you lift it up, you set it to the side, you let it be exposed to the, to the warm sun for the warm part of the day. And as it gets colder, you stick it back on. Get this, you'll do almost no watering during this period of time because, guess what? All of the water that gets evaporated from the ground up inside of your little mini greenhouse is going to then, in the at night, just fall right back down to the ground. It's a very, very efficient way to conserve water. We'd do it in the summer, except our, you know, it would kill everything because it would bake. Really, really easy and expensive thing to do. I mean, it's something that everybody should consider doing. My next question is, is it time for a real greenhouse this year? Is it time to stop thinking about it and build one? Uh, for me, I can answer that question. The answer is no, because my wife will shoot me in the face with a shotgun, uh, because we already have a billion things to move up to Arkansas. Somebody recently asked me when, uh, when I had some chicken on a salad I posted on Facebook, and I said everything because the chicken came from the backyard. Why didn't the chicken come from the backyard? Because my wife will shoot me in the face with a shotgun, because I'm not allowed to buy any chickens while we're still living here. Um, We're going to move soon. So the answer for me is no. And if you're going to move soon, the answer for you is probably no as well. Building a great big permanent greenhouse doesn't make sense. You stick to the uh, the smaller, uh, you know, temporary situation. But if you're going to stay put, if you're going to be here a while, maybe it's time to just go out there and start framing one out. Um, I would look at building something at least, uh, I would say at least 8 by 10 in dimensions, and I would probably do bigger Uh, a 12 by 14 is so much bigger than an 8 by 10, you can't believe it. And a, a greenhouse can be very expensive if you buy one of those pre-made kits. If you go out and get rough cut cedar lumber, 2 by 4 by 8s for your framing, and you frame it out yourself, and uh, you use, they have this, it's like tough something stuff. It's at Home Depot and Lowe's both. And it's really made for, you go out and you build a porch with a cover, and it's a, like a vinyl plastic that you use to cover your porch. And it comes in all different colors. It's clear, it's black, it's green, what have you. They make special flashing boards and stuff to go with it and all. But they also make a version that, of it that is for greenhouses. And you might have to order it if they don't have it in stock. But if you go find, it's called Tough Tech. That's what it's called, now I remember. You go in, you tell them, you know, figure out what you need and order it. They'll order it for you. And you can build a really nice greenhouse for probably about 500 bucks, which isn't chump change. And it does require your work and your effort. And if you're not a person that's used to building things, it'll require some learning and knowledge and maybe some help from a friend that knows how to frame. And that might cost you a couple cases of beer, which is worth it. But once you have that, now you have a way to produce food for yourself year-round. Now you have a great little environment to maybe do a little micro-aquaponics system in or a small-scale aquaponics system in, in addition to your winter gardening. So maybe it's time for that greenhouse, I'm just saying. If you're not going to be growing a lot of stuff to eat in your garden, it may still be right about the time for you to go out there and cover it with winter rye or even winter wheat uh, or, uh, you know, winter pea, or some sort of a cover crop. Um, any kind of a winter cover crop might be better served 
planted on your garden right now than just a big thick layer of mulch to protect your topsoil. Because if you put the mulch down to protect your topsoil, you get some limited decomposition of the mulch during the, the cold time of the year. But basically, at the end of the year, your garden is the same as it was at the, you know, at the beginning of the next spring, the same as it was at the end of this year. If you plant a good cover crop that, you know, just before you start planting, you can chop down and till into the soil. Now you've used this otherwise unproductive time to, uh, to build organic matter in your soil. This is the only, this is the big reason I did fava beans. Oh, sure, we're going to pick them and plant them and what have you, pick them and use them and store them and what have you. But really what they're doing is they're nitrifying the soil. And after I've picked all of the, uh, all of the beans off them, they'll be chopped up and tilled into the soil for a couple weeks before we plant anything in there. And they'll be adding nitrogen from the root system and nitrogen from the plant itself. So fava beans can be a cover crop. But this is a good time to think about cover crops. It's also a big time for composting. As you're cutting down those corn stalks and amaranth stalks and sunflower stalks and you know, your tomatoes and your everything else and your pepper plants are, you know, chop that stuff up and throw it in the compost pit. Don't be hauling that stuff off away. As the leaves are falling on your ground, put them into the composter. Don't don't. I right now I'm starting to. See, it, it hasn't happened yet. Because our leaves aren't falling heavily yet. They will soon. And if I want more compost, all I have to do is get in my truck on any given Saturday uh, or Sunday, on every any given Sunday, because Monday is garbage day around here. So that's when everybody puts them out. I can go around a Sunday evening and I can fill the back of my truck with prepackaged leaves so, so simply. In fact, my neighbor has this thing. I want to get one of these for my own use, honestly. It looks like a blower, but it works like a vacuum. And it's got a, you put a bag on it. And it sucks the leaves up like a vacuum and it shreds them and it packs them into the bag so you can fit more leaves. His, his leaf bags are like four times heavier than anybody else's leaf bag. I'm robbing all his leaves this year. And I'm taking them up to Arkansas for them to, to decompose because how perfect is that? So what if you don't have one of those fancy machines? Rake your leaves into a pile. Run your lawnmower back and forth over it. If you have a bagging lawnmower, bag it and put it into your compost pile. Mix it with, you know, green mixings though. So it's not all compacted. If you don't have green to mix with it right now, put it in a pile separately and slowly add it to your compost as greens become available. Mix your greens and browns. Uh, if you don't have a, a, a bagging vacuum, you know, rake your leaves into a pile about four inches deep. Run it over, run it over, run it over. Rake it back, do it again, rake it up. You'll be surprised. A huge pile of leaves will turn into a relatively small pile of shredded leaves. Take some of it for the compost. Sprinkle a two-inch or one-inch layer across the beds you're not going to be using. Turn that soil just about two inches of that soil. Don't dig it down deep and disrupt your, your biological activity. Just turn it into the top of your soil and then mulch over it. Give those worms and things something to eat. Put some carbon into the soil right now while you have the opportunity. Even if you're not going to do a lot of growing right now, get that garden ready for next year. This is the time to do it. It's beautiful outside. It feels good. It's good for your mental. It's good for everything, but it's good for next year's garden. It's good for this fall's garden as well. I mean, this is the time of year to be thinking about these things, folks. And um, I got news for you. From here forward, everything will accelerate. This is like when I was in the Army and we would jump out of airplanes with your parachute and you were coming down to the ground. If you were doing, let's say, an 800-foot ceiling jump, so you're jumping at 800 feet. It's a relatively low jump, not as low as some of the ones we did, but that was pretty low. And um, you're coming down, and you feel like you're flying, and you feel like you're floating, and you feel like you're barely moving. And this is where they teach you to keep your feet together, because so many people have a tendency to open their feet, look between their feet, and that's how you break a leg. And keep looking out on the horizon. So you have to control that and make sure you do that mentally, because otherwise you're going to get hurt. When you come down with a military parachute, it's not like these guys on TV, you know, with these big wing parachutes, and they pull a thing and they could land, they could have, they could strap a chair to their ass and land in a chair. The impact, when you come down with a, with a T-10 Charlie or a T-12 Bravo parachute from the military, is about equivalent to jumping off a 10-foot wall. And there's a way that you land, and I mean, most of jump school is running, doing push-ups, rolling around in sawdust, and learning how to land. Those, those are the four things that you do in jump school. Um, so when you're coming down, 
everything's quiet and everything's so serene and everything seems so placid, everything seems so peaceful. And then you hit about, I'd say it's probably, you think it's about 20 feet, but you're probably still about 50 feet up. Because again, it's hard to judge and you're looking straight out at the horizon instead of straight down. And all of a sudden, you go from 50 to 40 feet fast and you go from 40 to 30 even faster and you seem like, this is all relative because you're traveling at the same speed. And you go from 20 to the ground like that. And as you're coming down, that acceleration happens, and you slam the ground, and hopefully you do it right, and you don't twist an ankle or break a leg or, or worse, and hopefully you don't land on your buddy who's packing his shoot up uh, because they drop people in too heavy of a density. Uh, or your buddy was too lazy to get his butt off the drop zone fast like he's supposed to. Or took the wrong way off the drop zone. But my point, because I'm, I don't know, I'm getting back into a memory flash here, but um, my point is this is how winter is. It seems like you've got forever till winter. And then it's Halloween. And it seems like October went like, bam! But then November's like, poof! Right? I mean, next thing you know, it's Thanksgiving. And then Thanksgiving to Christmas. I mean, it just seems like... I mean, if you're five years old and you're waiting for that new bike, it seems like forever. Right? When I was a little kid, we used to make a chain with red and green construction paper, Right? And we would hang that up, and then it would have 25 links on it. And on December 1st, you know, you cut one. December 2nd, you cut another one off. You're counting down till Christmas. And if you're that little kid, God, it seems like that 25 days takes forever. But when you're growing up, you know, and you're living life, and you're having to care for the kids and everything, that 25 days is like that last 10 feet coming down with a parachute. This is what's bearing down on us. And it's why it's time to do the things to get ready for next year, which seems so far away, and to take the last of what we can this year, which many people have written off, and there's no reason to write it off. And another thing we need to be doing right now is preserving the harvest. Um, my Excalibur dehydrator has been, you know, and getting maybe a, a day's rest, and, and getting a day's rest. And, I keep talking about making some biltong using the dehydrator. And I was going to do that this week, and I've got so much to dehydrate right now, it looks like it's going to be next week before I can free it up to uh, to play around with doing some biltong in the dehydrator. So that video, at least the first part of it, will be coming out probably next week. This is a time for canning. And here's the other thing this is time for. Even though I'm talking about fall gardening, understand that it's fall harvesting that we're really talking about right now. So this is a good time. You need to get out to your farmer's market before it closes for three months. And you need to find those farmers that have that 400 pounds of green beans. They're just trying to unload before they go bad. You know, go out on a, on a Saturday morning and pick up, you know, 30, 40 pounds of something for less than a dollar a pound and bring it home and either dehydrate it or can it or flash freeze it or all three. I mean, if, if I got a really good deal on green beans right now, that's what I would be doing. I'd put away about two pounds, and guess what? For the next two weeks, we're going to eat the hell out of green beans. You know, fresh ones off the grill. And uh, then I would take uh, about a third of them and blanch them and put them on the dehydrator and make dehydrated green beans, put them in a can, and they're good for my soups and casseroles and stews. Uh, and then I would can about a third of them, and then I would flash freeze them. And the flash freeze ones are going to be the closest to fresh tasting. I'm going to have to blanch all three sets so I could actually be running the whole thing at once, right? I could have my steamer out, a blanched set, into the dehydrator, boom, uh, blanch set into the freezer, and then I have my last bit that I'm not going to blanch because they're going to go off into uh, to canning. But, I mean, this is the time for all of this stuff. It's the time to get out there. It's the time to kick that 22 out and clean the dust off of the scope and go out there and start shooting some squirrels and making some squirrel stew. It's time to start thinking about how you can take these, like, these root crops. Let me throw a little thing at you here, a little aside. Squirrel stew with root vegetables. We go out and we pop ourselves about four squirrels, maybe six, depending on how big they are. If you're down here in the southeast, fox squirrels are really a lot bigger than grays, and four would do what six will do up there. Clean our squirrels, we quarter them, we roll them in a little bit of seasoned flour, and we drop that into a really hot skillet of oil, and we brown our meat. We take our meat out, and we reserve it for now. Um, and then we kind of clean up all of the bottom of that pan, drain that off, put that aside. Then we get a a, a a pot of water. Actually, we get, a, we get a pot, and we put all of that stuff back into that pot. We cover it with water. We begin to simmer it. 
and we simmer it, and we simmer it, and we simmer it. We add a little bit of stock to that, stretch out the, the, the broth portion a little bit more. You can use beef stock. If you're a deer hunter, make your own deer stock. Best way to make deer stock, take all those bones that are left over when you're done boning your meat, get a great big baking pan, put a bunch of them in there, cover it with some water and beer, throw it in the oven at about 300 degrees, and leave it in there till all those drippings and extra pieces of meat and all of everything gels together, and then take that off, reserve that as your stock. So add your stock and uh, begin cooking that. And cook your squirrel for about an hour that way. After an hour, take a strainer, pull all of your squirrel quarters out, and now bone your meat. Right? So now the meat will just kind of pull off the bone. So pull the bone off. You can even throw the bones back in to continue to add flavor and little pieces of meat stuck to them. Now add, let's say, carrots, potatoes, parsnips uh, to that. Season this with uh, a big, huge handful of fresh chopped parsley, fresh chopped garlic. Stew that for a while. Um, when you get close to the end, now run your, you know, maybe pull your, if you have bones that you put back in there, use a strainer again, fish out most of your bones. By now they'll just be bare. Throw those aside. Get um, now. There's a couple ways you can thicken this. Here's a, here's an interesting way to thicken squirrel stew that is more akin to way Irish make stew. Uh, pull out a few of your potatoes. Put more potatoes in than you want. So pull out a good. I don't know about what would would amount to like if you had your two hands and you made a very loose like a very loose snowball shape about that much potatoes. I don't cook with you know fixed amounts. Mash those. So pull them out and mash them, just like you're making mashed potatoes. Mash the heck out of them until they're just pureed. Stir that back into your broth, the thick in your broth. Cook it down till it thickens till when you pull a piece of meat or another root vegetable out that the, the, the gravy on there just kind of adheres to it. Eat that. That's fall. Now do you understand why fall is my favorite time of year? This is why fall is my favorite time of year. That's awesome. And I'll tell you what, if you feed that to anybody that's opposed to eating squirrel and you don't tell them they're eating squirrel and they think it's chicken uh, in there, they'll wonder why it's all dark meat. But you know what? They'll, they'll just be like, wow, that's the most amazing thing I've ever eaten in my life. That chicken doesn't really taste like chicken, but it's good. Because um, squirrel doesn't taste just like chicken. Rabbit kind of does. You do the same thing with rabbit. You can do the same thing with a nice you know, shoulder roast of a deer. Uh, you know, deer shoulder roast, people generally cut that up and turn it into hamburger. Don't do that. Take your two front top shoulder roasts, the ones with the blades, uh, off a small deer, just one off a big deer. Do everything I said the exact same way. Take your shoulder roast and braise them on the bone. You know, just braise them to get that, 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 you know, uh, that, that carameling action that you get with meat and that browning to make your base and then build it up from there. Uh, you'll have to stew it longer. You'll want to put your vegetables in much later. You'll want to stew a deer shoulder roast for probably about two hours, very, very low simmer, before you start pulling the meat off, hand pull the meat off. You'll want to use a fork and a knife to do a little bit of that. You'll want to strip out some of the silver sheen uh, and stuff. It's a little bit more involved in doing it with squirrel, but it's not hard. you know. And then when you're done with that, you take those shoulder blades you throw them into the oven pan and you bake them in the oven and you, you get the same stock that I was talking about. There's so many things you can do this fall with these onions and garlic and parsnips and carrots and potatoes, right? This is the time to really enjoy that. This is what fall is really all about. Fall should not be a time of scarcity. It should be a time of plenty. And it should be a time of such surplus that we're getting ready for winter. Um, a couple more things you can do. I want you to think about using containers. You can go out right now, even if you live in a place where it's going to be too cold to keep your crops out year-round, and buy about two or three really big flower pots and a few bags of garden soil. Fill them up. Go out and buy some uh, seeds for spinach, lettuce, kale, and any kind of good green. Take your containers and basically seed the top of your containers like you're seeding a lawn for grass with these seeds, with a big mixture of these seeds. Seed one container this week, one container next week, one container the following week, and if you really want to blow it out, a fourth container the week after that, so over the next month. By the time you're seeding the fourth container, you'll be going out with scissors and cutting, like a haircut style, the first container. In another week, you'll be doing it to the second. Another week, you'll be doing it to the third. By then, you're either going to the fourth one or back to the first one. And every time it's going to be cold enough that it's really going to hurt the greens, lay a, uh, a towel or something on the ground so you don't keep things dirty, 
Have an area inside your house you've allocated for this. You, the wife, the kids, and whoever, go out there, grab a container each, bring them in the house overnight, keep them in the house overnight, and when the sun comes up in the morning, stick them back outside. You'll eat garden, uh, fresh garden salads until January. If one of them starts to go off on you, it seems like you've cut it too many times and it's just not going to come back again, rip about the first one inch of uh, soil off the top of it, throw the roots and everything into your compost bin, replace two to three inches of that soil with new fresh garden soil, sow it again. Bring it inside, keep it warm, put it next to a heat source, throw your seeds down as soon as they start to show up, get them into the sunlight as much as you can. You can do that right up until it's time to start putting little plants in the ground. Containers are your secret weapon. You don't need a greenhouse. You don't need anything. If you could find a, you know, something clear that'll go over the top of them to help give added warmth in your colder climates, do it. But it's usually not necessary. By the way, that can be as simple as you go out and get a clear garbage bag, put a stick in the center of your container, Drape the garbage bag over the side and tuck the ends underneath the pot. None of this has to be high-tech or expensive, folks. Um, I also really want to hit one more time about the fact that, you know, it, you really, in a lot of situations, I've seen people last year send me pictures and said, Jack, I planted spinach, I planted kale, I planted lettuces, I planted broccoli, and they're alive. They're surviving. They're making it, but they're not doing anything. They're just sitting there. They're just, the growth is stunted. Nothing's happening. Even my radishes are just sitting there. They're, they're not thriving. And it turns out, you know, they planted them in December or something like that. If you're not using a greenhouse, if you're not using containers and bringing them indoors, if you're not providing some sort of magnification to heat and light or something like that, these plants that will survive in the fall, the late fall and into the winter need to be established now or before now. So establishment is key. The things you'll be able to get away with are the fast-growing 30-day crops like the greens in the container that I just talked about uh, or getting previously started or putting in a mini greenhouse or putting in some kind of a tunnel cover over your bed or something like that. But without that, in a lot of places, it's too late to get these things established in the ground uh, or you can, but you've got to add these additional steps to be able to get them off to a good start. By the time January gets here, even if you live in a place like here, where lettuce will be fine outside, if it's not deeply established, it's going to barely grow. It's just going to wait. It's, it's an aid intelligence waiting for spring. And that's when it's going to grow a lot heavier. So do think about the need for establishment before you put these plants out. Um, Last, I just kind of want to wrap everything up and explain to you kind of like the sense of urgency that I have here and why this time of year is so cool. There's a lot of work left to be done, but let's face it, in December, you're not doing a lot. You're not planning much of anything. You're not, you know, you've either done it or you haven't. So December becomes a break, and, and Christmas is a break, and it's a good time to pause, and we always try to do a special Christmas show about pausing and thinking and and being grateful for what we have. And the same thing with you know Thanksgiving, the Christmas period. It starts to really slow down what you have to do out there. Then you go through January. And for most of you guys, January is really, there's no, even me. You know, I'm, I'm harvesting the things that will make it through, that are protected. and But it's just a salad here and a salad there. And then February comes. And you get out your frost date calendar and you count back from well, what day can I put plants out. And all of a sudden you're starting sometime in February, either early or late February, depending on where you live, little tiny tomato seeds and little tiny pepper seeds. You're getting those plants ready to put out in spring. It's all coming now. And this is a good way, and this is why I'm so big on gardening when it comes to prepping. This is how your life is working. The emergency, the disaster, the hard time that you're going to experience, and we're all going to have multiple hard times in our life. No matter how blessed we are, no matter how lucky we are, we're all going to lose jobs. We're all going to experience sick or, or God forbid, the, the, the death of a loved one. We're all going to have times where we just can't tolerate what we're doing anymore and we need to make a life change. 
We're all going to have a, a kid or a partner or someone else come home someday and drop a bomb on us. And I don't mean a real bomb, obviously. I mean some kind of major life event. We're all going to have times where maybe a storm rips a roof off of a house. There's, there, we're all going to have times where, you know, maybe we deal with it as a nation, you know. Most generations have at least one really tough time. Folks, this isn't it. If you think this is the one for our generation, you haven't paid attention to what the 1970s were like. They were a hell of a lot harder than this. You sure as hell didn't pay attention to what the war years were, were like, and you don't have any idea at all what the Great Depression was like. You don't know what it was like in the early 1900s during the Depression that went on then. We've gotten away with it for 25 years. And whether we believe it or not, to a large degree, we're still getting away with it. But winter always comes. And those who have prepared see winter for the beauty that it is. It is a time of what looks like death, but what it really is, is a rest for a rebuilding and a new spring. But it doesn't do you any good if you don't make it through the winter. If you're left out freezing and starving and cold in the winter, when spring comes, you're not here to enjoy it. And if you do make it through, but you languish through, then you start spring sick and cold and miserable, and you don't take the opportunities of spring. Gardening teaches us this. It teaches us this, even if you wouldn't express it the way that I do. It teaches us this at a basal level. We feel it internally. We know. We understand. We've watched the seedling come up too early and the frost kill it and realize it doesn't always work out for, you know, for happiness and, 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 and sunshine and bells and poppies. Not till you garden do you understand what the words crop failure mean. When you hear about a crop failure in Russia, with their, you know, maybe a third of their winter wheat this year won't be available for the world. A third. I don't think people understand how big Russia is. Siberia is way bigger than the United States, just Siberia. And we see Siberia is this, this barren, cold, frigid wasteland where nothing grows. And a big part of it is, but a big part of it isn't. A big part of it is, is a huge producer of wheat. And only when you garden do you understand what failure means. Only when you garden, I think, do you really understand what success can be, though, because you, you know, you can try to grow something in your area three or four years in a row before you realize because of a, a specific endemic pest or disease, it's not going to work. But then all of a sudden you stop trying the insane, which is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, and you do either something differently in the way you treat it or protect it, or you find a similar crop that doesn't have the same problem and you plant it and all of a sudden you go gangbusters with it. You know, you go from trying to limp tomatoes through with all of this freaking disease that we have here in the south with tomatoes over the last couple of years and say, you know what, this year I'm going to just give up on tomatoes for a while and plant tomatillos. And now I have tomatillos coming out of my freaking ears. Seriously. You learn that failure doesn't have to be failure in the garden. It's a good way to learn life lessons for a 75-year-old and for a 7-year-old. If you have kids, you need a garden. I don't care if you really want food out of it or not. I don't care if you give away your food. I don't care if you're really into prepping or not. If you have children, you need a garden. There are things that you can teach your kids in a garden that they will never learn in a school, whether it be a public school, a private school, or even a home school. There are certain things in life that we don't really learn and put in our hearts until we feel them, till we taste them, till we smell them, till we actually experience them. I can tell you everything in the world about how to change the oil on a car. I can even know the make and the model. I can know where everything is, but you will never know how to change the oil on that car until you get underneath it, pull out the drain cock, pull out the freaking filter, drain it completely out, replace everything, clean everything, pour the new oil in, check the new oil levels once it's, it's done. You'll have to do it. You'll have to feel the oil. You'll have to taste it in the air when you're doing the job. Even in a clean shop, you'll taste it. You'll smell it. It'll be there. You'll have to get your hands dirty. If you want to understand, really truly understand, Four Seasons... If you really want to understand life, if you really want to understand what winter is coming means, if you want to understand 
failures and successes around the world, not in the business world, but just in the agricultural world. It's such an important thing. Do you understand that we eat every day? Every day we take food that comes from the earth and the sun's combination. Without both, we don't get it. We consume it, and it gives us the gift of life for another day. And even if you're not a locavore, even if you're not trying to eat locally or organically or anything, I don't care if you're eating GMO and you think it's okay. It doesn't matter. We still need the earth and the sun and some human hand. And with those three together, we end up with a gift of life. That's what food is. If you don't teach your kids how to do that for themselves, even on a small level, they'll never understand that gift. Fall is a great time to start. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Nobody up there cares, they're living